Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local, sponsored by People's Bank. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. Uh, We're happy to have you with us here today, and we have a great show for you. But before we get to it, we need to hear this message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF Equal Housing Lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. We have a terrific show for you today. We have with us Mark Kerouac. He is the president and CEO of Bay State Health. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing great, George. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is our privilege to have you on at this very important time. Uh, it seems like every time we think we have this pandemic uh, in the rear view, it uh moves from the rear view up to the side of us and even to the front of us. And uh, it's everywhere we can do. Well, we'll take that analogy of, of driving in a car another time. But anyway, uh, it seems more and more that this pandemic is, is just unpredictable and not going to go away anytime soon. And we would be remiss if we were talking to anybody but you about um, where we are with this pandemic and what we can foresee moving forward. We are in what people are calling a fifth surge. Do I have that right? Do I have my numbers? Yeah, well, it depends on how you keep score. The bottom line is we're all getting kind of sick of it. And uh, we are certainly seeing an uptick in cases, no doubt about it. We went from having fewer than 20 inpatients in early March to having 89 across our four hospitals today. And our test positivity rates went from below 2% of samples to now over 8% of samples. And that corresponds to what we're seeing across the state and across the country. There are new variants that are coming around and they're causing more cases. Can you put those numbers into perspective for people, compare them to where we were at the height of the last surge, which was what, January, late December? That would have been January. That was the Omicron surge. And I would say it's nothing like those days, thank God. Uh, We went up to 320 cases in January, and our prior peak before that in the beginning of the pandemic back in April of 2020 uh, was about 180 or so. The big difference this time around among those 89 cases across the hospital, over half of them have minimal to no symptoms. Many times people will come in to have an operation, to have a baby for whatever reason. And we routinely screen everybody and they'll be surprised to learn they've got COVID. So over half of folks, uh, COVID's not the reason they're in the hospital. And there's much less serious disease than there was back in January. Um, Only three people today are in the intensive care unit out of the 89 who are in. And that ratio is much, much lower than prior surges. So I know this surge has just started, but can we predict what this one will be like? That's the question on everybody's minds at the moment. We're in another surge. What will the surge be like? When might it end? Uh, What can we expect? All those things. Yeah, I think that the surge is going to show up differently for people who either have been vaccinated or who have had COVID before. 
for them, it will be the risk of coming down with either a cold or a flu-like illness. Um, and that, these days, turns out to be the majority of people. We've had about 75% of the folks over 12 years old have been fully vaccinated in Hamden County. Only about half of them have gotten the booster, which is an issue. But some recent data from the CDC suggests that 50 to 60% of people vaccinated or not have actually been exposed to COVID. And that number goes up to 75% when you look at unvaccinated groups like young children. So there are fewer and fewer people that the virus can attack that haven't seen it some sort of virus protein before. And that means that their illnesses are gonna be much milder. Now for the minority of people who have neither been vaccinated nor have been infected before, uh, they can get every bit as sick as the people in the prior surges. And so there is a small number of people out there who could still get pretty darn sick if they caught this uh, current variant. So what are we seeing uh, in the community in terms of, of response to this surge? We're starting to see more masks. We're starting to see more people thinking about mask mandates and mask policies. How are, How is society responding to this at large and, and how should it be responding? I guess is the better question. Yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of variability. Uh, when I go to public events, uh, I see it really depends a lot on uh, who is at the events and where they're being held. Um, you certainly see a lot of people who uh, are very um, cautious about wearing masks whenever they're out in public. And, you know, I don't know all the story of why they've made those decisions and others who have decided that this pandemic has just passed us by and we can basically go on about their business. Um, for me, I, you know, in terms of making my own decisions and I'll disclose that I, I'm in an at-risk group in that I'm over 65, I've been vaccinated and twice boosted. Um, and when I'm in a crowded area, and now that cases are up in our area, when I'm in a crowded area where I'm not sure that other people have all been vaccinated, I'll typically put a mask on. If I'm with a crowd, uh, for example, a group of employees at Bay State where nearly everyone's been vaccinated, uh, I don't feel as strongly about it. Um, we have gotten back to a policy of masking up here at work, uh, both in our clinical and non-clinical areas, even though we're nearly all of us vaccinated. And I think that indicates that, you know, we realize there's just more virus around and it's time to put those masks back on, even though it's a pain in the neck for some people. Is what we're seeing now what we are going to see moving forward? I know that's a difficult question because of the unpredictability factor involving this, but this is what people have said. This is a point that people said we would reach, where we would simply be living with the virus instead of yeah. it controlling our lives. Are we at that I, point? I think we're coming to that point. We will be there soon. Viruses and the people they infect sort of co-evolve to a sort of equilibrium uh, where nearly everybody has seen the virus and has some level of protection and the virus is around at low levels. Now, this is a virus that's a little different, more like a flu or some other uh, diseases where it changes its stripes from time to time. And we already know that there are some new variants 
brewing down in South Africa that we haven't seen yet <clears throat> that may make their way here. And so every once in a while, there'll be a quote unquote bug going around the community. Uh, and that's what we used to say before we had PCR <laughs> testing and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, it's certainly not going to be the dramatic headline grabbing thing that's a threat to the lives of normal, healthy people like it once was, uh, because I think that uh, between a majority of people being vaccinated and uh, a majority of the rest having seen the virus, uh, the virus is running out of unprotected targets. Mm -hmm. How far away are we from that point? If we're not quite there yet, when will we get there? Oh, I would say uh, things will really quiet down during the summer. They may uh, drift up again during the fall as people spend more time indoors. But, you know, I am thinking six to 12 months from now, we'll probably be at that equilibrium state. And that's, you know, that's through a cloudy crystal ball, I will confess. So you mentioned summer and, and you're good at anticipating what my next question is going to be. Is this a summer where people can pretty much turn the clock back to 2019 and do what they want, where they want, just go back and have a regular old-fashioned summer? I think we are never going back to 2019. I'm sorry to break the news. Um, and so okay. <clears throat> I think that everybody, you know, let's say you've gone down to a week at the Cape, for example. First, the first thing you'll need to do is look in the mirror and say, uh, am I in a healthy person? Am I in one of those high-risk groups? Have I gotten all my recommended shots? Have I had COVID before? You know, if if um, if you've gotten all your shots or, or you, um, I, I think that you can feel pretty comfortable being unmasked in a crowded space if there's not a lot of virus in the community. So the first thing you need to do is ask about your own risks, ask about your medical history in terms of what you've done to protect yourself, and then ask about, well, how much virus is out there in the community? If you've done your your uh, work to get yourself protected and there's not much virus in the community, then you can act like it's 2019. Although if you are at an at-risk individual, particularly if you haven't been vaccinated, and particularly if there's a lot of virus in the community, then it's going to be more like 2020 for you. Okay. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. Uh, we're honored and privileged to have with us today Mark Kerouac. He is the president and CEO of Bay State Health. We've been talking about the pandemic, the fifth surge, what we're seeing and what we might see moving down. You, you mentioned yourself that you are vaccinated and twice boosted. A lot of questions about the second booster, whether people need it. Uh, how effective it might be. Uh, what What are your thoughts on whether people should pursue that second booster? Yeah, and before I tackle that one, George, let me just put in a plug for the first booster, which clearly, clearly adds a significant level of protection against the bugs that are the viruses that are circulating right now, Omicron and its various cousins. So that first booster makes a big difference. And unfortunately, while we've got 75% of adults vaccinated, only half of those adults have bothered to get the booster. So uh, I'd ask your listeners who've not gotten that first booster, there's no question about it. All the experts agree on that one. With regard to the second booster, 
<clears throat> it it does give a bit of a a boost <laughs> which uh, to your immunity uh but it is not as dramatic as the first booster and it does tend to wear away after several weeks uh that's based on a study that was done out of israel that was just published a few weeks ago in the new england journal of medicine so there was roughly a 50 percent protection against any kind of infection um, and perhaps even more so against serious infection, but it tended to be no different from the people who hadn't gotten that second booster by the time eight weeks or so uh, rolled around. So many people uh, have decided to actually time this second booster. I have a, a sister-in-law who wanted to plan for her son's graduation and she decided to get her second booster just a couple of weeks before the graduation so she'd have that little extra level of protection um, for that important event. So it's hard to have the same strength of feeling about the second booster that I do about the first, but it would not be accurate to say it does nothing at all. It provides you a little bit more protection for a more limited duration of time. Interesting. You mentioned graduations. Uh, they're coming up. There were several this past weekend. There are more coming up this weekend. Those are the college yeah. graduations, the high school graduates. These are large gatherings. Uh, should people be wary about attending these? Again, I imagine it depends on the individual circumstances. Yes, uh, I'm planning to attend the uh, Westfield State graduation on Friday. Uh, as I say, vaccinated, double boosted, but in a high risk group. So I will be wearing a mask and, uh, and won't be doing any hugging while I'm there. Uh, so it it is something where I think we do need to be on our guard. And that's mostly because of the amount of virus that's in the community right now. I mean, a month from now, I might be giving different advice if mm -hmm. the amount of virus is really uh, decline significantly. Well, we're not seeing uh, people postponing these events. We're not seeing them canceled and moved virtually. So um, people are going ahead with this. So uh, obviously there's a, a decent enough level of confidence. Uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner was certainly a uh, cautionary tale, I'm sure, but uh, 3,000 yeah. people in one large ballroom, we're not seeing that here. So Well, we, we actually have seen a number of local politicians and and uh, national politicians by virtue of what they do, right? They are out there shaking hands and meeting with people. Um, I think certainly when they're in front of cameras, they prefer not to have masks on. So uh, I would say it's a, it's a high-risk occupation and uh, harder for them to follow the kind of precautions that somebody who works in an office does, for example. And uh, most of them are getting mild disease and are getting laid up for a few days and then are right back at it. So I've got to believe that somebody like, you know, the governor of New York and the speaker of the house kind of knew what they were in for, knew the risks they were taking, but they had done everything they could to protect themselves by getting vaccinated. And uh, indeed, they did get sick for a few days, but they're going to be on about their business pretty soon, I suspect. Mm hmm. So do business owners have anything to, to think about? Uh, a lot of them are returning their employees to the office if they haven't already. The great return, it's been called. And I think a lot of that took place in April, some of it in March. Still a few holdouts in my building and some other office buildings where people haven't been back yet. Do you see this surge or are any of these numbers 
impacting what employers should be thinking about? Or well, well, let me take off my doctor hat and put on my business leader hat for a minute because we're wrestling with the same thing. We have 2,500 of our 13,000 employees who are working nearly all remotely. And we've been wrestling with those same issues. Uh, we've tried to have conversations with each of the local unit leaders to make sure that uh, we understand what, how well they think they have done uh, getting remote work done, what sorts of things really require people to come into the office, and to what extent they want to keep certain people remote all the time, ask others to come in most of the time, or have others come in sometimes and not others. Uh, and then that encumbers a certain uh, level of investment in technology if you're going to do the hybrid meeting thing. To me, it also means that we need to rethink what we're trying to do when we gather together. I think if we're able to get work done as a group of familiar coworkers by having a virtual meeting, then it suggests that if we're going to actually sit down around a table face-to-face, -face, we ought to be doing something different than we otherwise would have been doing on a virtual meeting. In other words, maybe more creative work, maybe more debate and controversy, maybe more team building or brainstorming or whatever. But I think that the kind of work we do when we're together ought to be different than the kind of work we do when we're virtual. This is my fourth Zoom meeting today. Uh, and I'm sure you probably had just as many, if not more than that. So we're all learning how to do things differently. but. Uh, if uh, employers want to bring people back, uh, all the coast is clear, you would say? Or? We're doing it. We're doing it. But again, we're 98% vaccinated here, remember? Okay. And we've actually invested in a few uh, conference rooms to have this technology that enables hybrid meetings where a camera will track the speaker and um, it allows for a uh, virtual-like environment at the same time as a group of people are sitting in a room together. Okay. Uh, in a few minutes we have left, um, we talk about normal, we talk about the pandemic and life returning to normal. Uh, there's another aspect of normal and that's the business side of things for hospitals. Are things starting to return to something approaching normal in terms of surgeries and people coming back to the hospital when they need to as opposed to where we were? We have, we have resumed elective surgery and we're working through that backlog. You know, uh, the, the, the largest backlog is typically pe healthy people who are getting screened for, let's say, cancer like mammography and uh, procedures like that, colonoscopy, et cetera. And we're still working down that backlog. Uh, we're doing pretty well with the people who are awaiting surgeries and keeping up with that. The issue that we're struggling with really is twofold. The first is a staffing issue. We still have a number of vacancies, 10 to 15 percent vacancy rate, and that is mirrored in our partner organizations like home care and nursing homes. So um, the people left behind are working extra shifts and working harder, and it's slowed the forward progress of people through the hospital, and it's therefore led to some hospital capacity crunches and crowding. Uh, that we've been working to manage and, you know, uh, get folks through. So we continue to hire uh, aggressively and are working to support our employees emotionally uh, and 
provide flexibility in terms of work schedules uh, to see if we can, you know, get back up to full staffing. So the the staffing and the capacity issues that it engenders is the uh, challenge number one. And the others that we're still uh, digging out of a significant financial hole, we've um, uh, when you combine lost revenues and added expenses because of premium labor since the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020, uh, and this would be up through February, so not counting the last couple of months, uh, that number is $376 million. And against that number, we've received, thank goodness, $206 million in federal and state relief. But that still leaves us with about a $170 million gap. Um, and I believe, and this is probably true of most of your listeners, we believe that labor uh, costs uh, and supply costs are going to be uh, elevated for the foreseeable future, much higher than they were in 2019. So as we're budgeting now, we're budgeting in significant increases for labor and supply costs. How do you go about closing? I'm not good at doing math, but $170 million gap. How do you close them? Well, we're continuing to appeal to uh, the state and to uh, federal emergency management uh, folks for relief. We suspect we might be able to whittle that down to half of what it was. And we do maintain some reserves uh, for, you know, rainy days like this. And uh, at least until recently, we had been sitting on a pretty good cushion of uh, investment returns from the past year. Uh, but I do suspect that we're, there's still going to be a bit of a gap that we're going to have to dig into reserves to cover. The bigger worry to me is looking forward. Uh, what is our run rate for expenses going to be? And uh, given that, you know, 70 percent of our payers are governmental payers, so we have to take the prices they give us. We can't raise our prices on them. And for the managed care insurers, those price increases are uh, regulated by the state Health Policy Commission to being some number below state GDP, so three percent is a would be a really big increase, um, even if labor and supply costs are more than double that. Okay, well, good luck to you with that, and uh, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you giving us this update. I want to. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Mark is not just the president and CEO of Bay State Health. He is also a winner of Business West prestigious Healthcare Heroes Award in 2020. Congratulations to you for that. And here comes another plug. Uh, we are now accepting nominations for that award this year. And I know you probably got some people at Bay State you want to nominate or your staff would like to nominate. So do I yes, I work. I work with a lot of healthcare heroes, uh, and I think that my own award I always took to be rep- as my representing them, uh, and uh, I've been very proud of the work they've done. And it's always a pleasure to visit with you as well, George. Okay. Well, thank you again for tuning in, everyone, and thank you, Mark. We'll have you back on uh, in a few months, and we'll, we'll update our listeners again. I look forward to it. Okay. Well, thank you again for listening, everyone. This has been another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time.